This episode is brought to you by SoRare. Stay tuned for more information on them later in the episode. What's up, everybody? I'm Scott Melker, and this is the Wolf of All Streets podcast, where two times every week we talk to your favorite personalities from the worlds of Bitcoin, finance, music, art, sports, politics, basically anyone with a good story to tell. Now, earlier this year, you may have read an article about a venture capital firm that took a bet on a small little company called BitBank. Well, that company is not small and eventually became Coinbase. And that particular investment was viewed as the holy grail of all investing. Well, I have a general partner from that firm, Brett Gibson, that firm is Initialized Capital, here with me today to discuss that and to discuss generally what's happening with venture capital in the crypto space. As I often report, it seems like money is just absolutely flooding into the space at the moment and that people can't get their cash in fast enough. We'll talk about why that's the case. Brett, thank you so much for coming on today. Hey, yeah, thanks a lot. I'm really, really excited to be here. But first, can we just start with the Coinbase story? Can you walk us through how that investment happened and turned out? Yeah, sure. You know, it was, it was actually before I joined the firm, but uh, so we were founded by Gary Tan, uh, who who was working at Y Combinator at the time. So uh, there's a lot of logos on, on our website that are just like small fallen checks that he was making to YC companies he was working with. And while he was working there, he met Brian Armstrong um, and he was able, you know, he was able to facilitate Brian getting Coinbase into the Y Combinator program and then was, you know, the, you know, the first investor right after YC's demo day um, to sort of take the lead uh, on, on their seed round. Um, and then, you know, the, I think that the, the, the bigger inflection point was sort of later that year. Um, you know, the investors weren't really sure what to make of Coinbase or the space yet still. Um, but Gary kept meeting with Brian and as the story goes, he, he, uh, Brian was like, we're having trouble just keeping up with the demand. Like we can't buy enough Bitcoin to actually sell on the platform. Um, and so that's sort of when we, when we doubled down into Coinbase. And I think that, you know, between those two investments, uh, the, the returns to date have been kind of astounding. Basically a 1.3 million invested and valued at 680 million roughly at the, uh, yeah. at the launch. Yeah. Not bad. <laughs> pretty yeah. pretty good day's work. Funny, one of my actual close friends locally was good friends with Brian Armstrong at the time at Y Combinator and had the opportunity to invest $10,000 into Coinbase very early and passed um, and has regretted it, I think, ever since. <laughs> I'm, well, I mean, it's a similar story with Bitcoin a lot of times. I mean, I think that, you know, my, my introduction to Bitcoin was as a former YC founder myself, I would just kind of be willing to try out any YC company. So I signed up for Coinbase and I bought like a few Bitcoin, but seriously, but you know, nowhere near what I no, wish. Best thing, best thing that ever happened <laughs> to you was just trying out Coinbase. Right? Yeah, yeah. Extremely, extremely early. So I alluded to this in the beginning and I would love for you to give some clarity because it feels like there's an absolute flood of money. And just like you talked about just now, with Bitcoin, a lot of people feel like they missed it early and they could have bought, but it seems like more people are interested in the picks and shovels approach now and investing in the companies that are building it, the exchanges, rather than just buying the coins, at least from an institutional perspective. Is that somewhat accurate and, and why is money flowing in so heavily right now? Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I don't know. It's it's a pretty expensive topic. I think a lot of a lot of things are going on. Um, you know, first of all, like earlier this year, not just you know, you know, we don't just focus on crypto investing. We sort of invest across software startups or early stage technology startups, mo mostly software. 
Um, and something crazy happened in like Q1 and Q2, where just oh, 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 the, across the entire venture, like money was just flowing in. And we saw this dislocation in, in valuations across the board. And then what, what was happening in crypto markets that was just exacerbated on the crypto side and the crypto deals. Um, I think that there, there's a bit of a cyclical participation of like sort of like Sandhill, quote unquote, mainstream VCs in the crypto space. Um, you know, early on, you know, they, you know, we were, a lot of us were limited from actually even holding tokens directly or buying directly into liquid assets um, just because of, you know, how, how venture funds are structured and the carve outs without having to register with the SEC. Um, and, uh, and so, at, you know, we saw a little bit of that changing, I think in 2018, Initialize actually amended our, our LP agreements to be able to buy tokens directly. Um, so I think that early on there, that, that, that drove a lot of this preference for exposure to the asset class through equity based investments. Um, and then, and, you know, it's, it's, it's sort of, and then after the, during the bear market, like that, that sort of group, you know, we saw all these crypt, like dedicated crypto funds raise and that groups just kind of went away. You know, we, we were working with other portfolio companies and talking to them about follow on and, and, and for a while, when we were looking at their, their series A's and, and series B's, the sort of mainstream uh, Sandhill VCs were like off the table. They seem to be largely back. They do seem to be sort of more engaged on the equity side. Um, and I think that, I mean, I think the other big trend and, and sort of reasoning behind equities, a lot of these equity companies are sort of more, can be more general bets on the space. Um, you know, I think that during these, during these bull cycles, there's a million projects that get started up um, and they're all kind of directionally correct. And you aren't really sure which ones are going to stick around. So being able to bet sort of like widely, I think that, you know, we invest in Bison Trails, which is like infrastructure as a service for, for, you know, they started mostly on proof of stake networks. And, you know, at the time it was like, you know, we're not really sure what's going to happen with proof of stake generally, but it seems like it's a thing. And so they're going to kind of sort of capture the, the any, if any of these proof of stake networks take off, this sort of infrastructure will be required. I mean, that makes perfect sense. Uh, a lot of the VCs that I've talked to, admittedly, just sort of say what you did and take a spray and pray approach, right? They're like, "We'll just throw fifty or hundred grand into anything," <laughs> you know. And and I think a lot of the smaller ones are doing that. It sounds like you guys have a bit of more of a measured approach, but it really does feel like there's just excess money coming from nowhere. You you see here the same VCs investing over and over again, it's always like 200 million more, 300 million more, 500 million more. Is this like a benefit of money printing and all of the spare cash that everybody has laying around who has wealth from the last few years? Where's all this money coming from? Yeah, that, I mean, that's that's my sense generally that there's sort of money printing coming down the stack. Um, you know, the bigger sort of hedge fund growth state style investors are moving down, you know, sort of the, the risk curve and getting earlier and earlier. We're seeing them. I, I haven't really, we haven't seen them that aggressive in seed yet, but we've definitely seen them in series A deals where, you know, that, that wouldn't have made sense in the past. I think that, um, and so that's, is pushed just everyone's. And so everyone's sort of very, very uh, like itchy of the trigger trigger because you're worried someone's just going to come in and dump a bunch of money on sort of any deal you're looking at. Um, and that drives sort of prices up. And I, I don't know. I mean, I guess the, the big quarter in me is like, how much of this is just a flight out of fiat, right? Like sure. we just have USD and we need to get it into a productive asset somewhere. But um, the, the other big thing is like, you know, I saw a tweet from like CMS a, a while back about like, you know, like 
Alameda's P&L on a monthly basis is like a new enormous mega venture fund, right? So uh, if you're if you're one of those firms or you're someone, you know, someone who called a bunch of capital, put it into Bitcoin and saw it go up 10x, you're, you're sitting on, you know, a lot of money to deploy. Yeah, and you're probably looking to diversify in some way, but you know, crypto hodlers and the really fanatical crypto people, they want to diversify, but not out of crypto, right? Yeah. So it's like, let me get a little money out of Bitcoin or out of this, but get it into some some venture. You talked about the fact that you guys sort of changed your agreement in 2018 to allow uh, direct token buys, uh, if that's correct. You weren't doing that before. Is that primarily structured as like an OTC deal where it's, kind of looks like an equity deal, but you're buying a tranche of tokens at a slight discount or something. Is that a pre-sale and something that hasn't even launched yet? Is it both of those, a mix? What what do those deals look like? Yeah, yeah. And I mean, in practice, we could do e either, but we haven't really we haven't really engaged in the form. We've looked at some of the larger deals. I think, um, so mostly it's, a, you know, it's a, like a SAFT-based instrument that's going to convert to tokens and or, um, you know, oftentimes it's, it's, it's gotten really complicated in terms of what you're buying in terms of like, if it's a SAFT, if it's a SAFT, if it's equity that converts with some sort of warrant system. So there, it seems like these days it's sort of coalesced on every deal has has some, has some optionality based on where the value is kind of going to accrue. I think, um, especially at the early stage, um, there was, you know, the, the first time around in the ICO craze, it was just kind of like sell tokens and, and money grab. And now with early stage founders, we want them, you know, we, we, we expect that they don't have all the things figured out about their token economic plan. And it's really hard to sell tokens directly until you have token allocations figured out. Um, so some sort of like equity agreement that, that has a token conversion mechanism often makes more sense just to give them time to, to get those plans in place. Do you think that a lot of this sort of, I don't want to, maybe it's misleading to call it hysteria, but it feels that way, is driven by just sheerly the bull market. Price is going up. Everybody wants to get money in. Is that all it is, or is it a mix of that and actual adoption? And like people are saying, these are the companies that are going to, you know, drive the future, or, or are people still just sort of FOMOing into the space because they think, you know, buy low, sell high? Yeah, I mean, I, unfortunately, I think a lot of it is is gone that way. I mean, it, it it's it is definitely reminding me of 2017 in terms of the part of the cycle where the the number of things that are coming through and the number that are high quality is is, is sort of starting to shift. And there's part of me that 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 misses the sort of buildle phase, as people were calling it, right? Build through the wind, build through the winter, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Um, and because I don't know, I think I think I think it is kind of natural for the industry. It's just this expansion and contraction. Uh, sort of dynamic, you know. I think what I think that it it allows for uh, sort of wider experimentation. You know, it's a sort of Cambrian explosion of approaches to 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 all these different types of things. And so I don't know. There's a lot. There's a there's a lot more things being tried, which which I feel is a positive. So with all these things being tried, are there any that you guys are particularly excited about? It doesn't have to be a specific company, obviously. To talk your book, you can. <laughs> um, but but uh, you know, is it? NFTs, DeFi, you know, uh, play to earn gaming. Obviously, we're seeing sort of all of these different uh, niche industries within crypto emerge. And it seems that different people are excited about different ones. 
Yeah, I mean, I think so, you know, it's I think we we bring the same sort of generalist uh, kind of founder first mentality that, that we normally invest into crypto. So, you know, just like we're, we're not heavily thesis driven as a firm generally. So we're, we're not really heavily, heavily thesis driven in crypto, the crypto space. I think the, the main thing, I mean, it's a it's a weird, I mean, it's a silly answer kind of, but I'm sort of excited about everything. I think that, you know, that's the my, business of that's my the answer. Business, <laughs> The business of early stage investing is just trying to believe in things to the extent possible, right? Because it's, you know, it's just like you founders come in, they tell you what the future is going to look like. And, you you know, you do your best to sort of get, get, get your head around it and get on the same page that they are and see what, see what they're seeing. So I think, you know, we have, you know, we've made investments across kind of all the things you mentioned, um, you know, and sort of DeFi, we're, we're investors in Hummingbot, which is like a, mar- a marketplace for, for market making an open source trading bot and, um, and NFTs, we invested in Manifold Creator, which is like a you know platform for uh, for NFT contracts and, and issuance. And so, I don't know. I think a lot about how like the NFT and sort of DAO search space, the complexity space, has barely been tapped. And sort of like the the degree to which like interoperability and sort of money Legos have, have gone where they've gone on DeFi. I think that the same the same sort of thing is going to happen in NFTs. Like the, there's we sort of just sort of scratch the surface on the ways that can actually be useful beyond stuff like just like profile picks. And I think sort of next up, you know, it seems kind of consensus, but the, 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 DAO, the DAO systems are going to be, you know, just basic early, like kind of vote on chain probably doesn't scale up to too, too complex an org, but a lot, but with a really robust infrastructure layer, like a lot of interesting things are going to happen on the DAO side. So I want to talk about both of those things. You touched on exactly my next question, which was going to be, yes, we all know that NFTs have utility. A lot of what's happening in the space is extremely exciting, but also profile picks and JPEGs, right? So, um, you know, what is your feeling on the current state of the NFT market? Which parts are going to emerge? Which, uh, maybe you think none, which are going to zero. I think most of the JPEGs are going to zero, personally. Uh, you know, what's your take on what's happening with sort of NFT mania? It, it reminds me a lot of of the ICO stuff in 2017, where the where the sort of fundamental mechanism is very valuable, and any 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 average any you know median project is not worth anything. So uh, I think that you know I think that the I think they're all going to take a hit. You know I don't know well TBD what's going on with super cycle stuff, but, but I guess my default case is we we do our normal crypto cycle that we've been through a few times. Um, and they're all going to take sort of deep hits, um, but you know the, the 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 best ones will maintain some some value and will will likely come back, um, and sort of the long the long tail will will just kind of go nowhere. Um, but you know I, I think that independent of what you think about sort of JPEGs, like if you believe in if you if you're willing to buy digital scarcity and believe in something like Bitcoin, then then it doesn't really seem like that big a leap to me that it no, would, that a one of one asset. Would be yeah. would be could be equally valuable, and so I think um, I think that you know beyond just sort of little not little they're, they're big they're big and important but beyond just sort of things you trade uh, as individual sort of picks like you know the the amount of utility and sort of like being able to own something I think like I think there's going to be a lot of NFTs you can't buy you know that you have to earn and and then and then have some you know you're endowed with some sort of rights based on that I think there's going to be a lot that look kind of like subscription products or, yeah. or something like that. I think that, I don't know. I just, 
I, I, I had just had this general sense that we're, we're working towards figuring out a lot of use cases and they'll sort of flood in over the next year. Yeah. The utility is endless, but it's kind of a bubble. <laughs> I mean, yes. and, yeah, and, I agree and, with that. That's a good, right. that's a good summary. Yeah. I mean, you definitely talk about in principle, I certainly understand the jump in uh, digital scarcity and the mentality of, well, Bitcoin's digitally scarce. Sure. I'll collect a, uh, NFTs are digitally scarce, but just because someone decides like today to do a money grab and make 10 of something that's crap, you also need demand, right? And so like a lot of people do make that comparison that NFTs are similar to Bitcoin, but Bitcoin's like the greatest asset that was ever created in mankind. You can't duplicate that by just making something digitally scarce, right? Yeah, Listen, you're a Bitcoiner, right? What, may, what got you into Bitcoin in the first place? You know, I mean, so yeah, again, like I kind of, I kind of, you know, I bought a little and, and didn't pay a lot of attention to it. Um, I was, and then I was, I was sort of work, I was working at Y Combinator during the, uh, you know, during like 2014 and sort of watching things going on and still just kind of busy and not paying attention. I think, um, so, so I, uh, Gary and I founded a blog platform in 2008. Um, and then it eventually got sold to Twitter and then Twitter was going to turn it off. So we, we started a side project called Post Haven, which was giving our old users a place to migrate. And then after he and I both worked at YC, we, we left at the same time. It took about a year off. Um, and during that year, I, you know, I programmed my whole career, but I didn't have a CS degree. So it was taking a lot of CS courses and sort of learning. And he was like, hey, you know, this was like 2016. He was like, we had promised our users we keep Post Haven on forever for you know whatever that whatever whatever we can make forever mean um based on the sort of twitter shutdown experience and he was like can we run this on ethereum uh you know can we run this to centralize and so in 2016 i took a deep dive in the space and and was an emphatic emphatically came back no <laughs> this is not <laughs> not possible to run our blog network fees, man. Like... <laughs> <laughs> but but it gave me but when but when i joined initialize you know i had this background in doing a, a lot of research uh, on the sort of fundamental technologies and and sort of understanding the sort of technical underpinnings to to bitcoin and and i don't know it's a means classic kind of from there, it's a sort of normal rabbit hole story where you, once you once you see it, you can't unsee it, sort of thing. Yeah. So uh, you couldn't do it on Ethereum. That was 2016 or so, though. Could you do it on Solana or Avalanche or Cardano or Elrond or any of the other competitive I, layer ones know, in 2021? You know what the the limiting factor is less the smart contract platform and more the storage mechanism and the permanence of the storage. So. I think that we could probably make a go if I if I was able to find a bunch of time. You know, it'd be something like Saya or, or Filecoin. Um, but and I think that there there would there would we could make a meaningful go at it. I, I bet. And there's the and then and then decentralized sort of like DNS equivalent, right? We'd need something like ENS or Handshake to to function as well. But we have evolved, right? So I mean, just as sort of you went from hard no when it was just Ethereum based. So it's nice to know that we at least have come uh, part of the way ahead from yeah. what was possible at Even the time you go ahead. Any of the tooling, right? I was like, I mean, so like the developer tooling on top of Solidity, you know, there was there, there was nothing, right? And now, and now, and then there was like sort of Truffle and now Hard Hat, there's like the, the, the dealer experience is, is vastly different. But I remember like that, I don't, you know, in early versions of MetaMask I was using, I was just kind of like, how, how is, no, I, I was kind of like, no one will ever, no one will ever do this. 
But and what's crazy, you talk about MetaMask. I mean, you know, obviously we've seen Axie Infinity absolutely explode. They did a billion dollars in a month. But even the founder of Axie Infinity said, listen, this is really difficult, even if you're into crypto. But if you're not crypto native, getting this set up is nearly impossible. Yeah. I mean, where there's a will, there's a way. Listen, like Philip, the Philippines have adopted Axie Infinity. They're using it to make more money than their real jobs. But you have to understand getting a MetaMask wallet, which still versus any legacy platform is clunky. Like MetaMask has come a long way, but it ain't PayPal, right? You yeah, know? Um, and then you know, open your Ronin wallet, buy your you know characters, whatever. It's still really early in that regard, right? I mean, we're we're certainly do not have the tools that grandma can use to go play to earn. Yeah, I mean, we're investors in Horizon Blockchain Games, which is which builds Skyweaver, and in part, and they're you know they're it's they're getting close. They've been in beta for a while, and part of the reason they're not on Mania.net was no, we're just going to build our own wallet. Like we can't we can't deal with this wallet ecosystem. We needed to just wrap this in an experience and own it entirely. Yeah, I mean, like I, you know, I, I, I'm somewhat savvy. I'm certainly not a programmer, but I'll tell you, the first time I discovered Uniswap and interacting with MetaMask, I was very confused. You know, like it, it took a day. It was fine, but it's, it's not easy. The barriers to entry are still absolutely there. Yeah. Do you think that that's still the main barrier to entry for mainstream adoption? It's like UX, UI problems, and basically it's just too complicated. Everybody in cryptocurrency already knows about Hedera Hashgraph. It's one of the fastest, most secure, and trusted networks on the planet. But what they might not know about is the HBAR Foundation. With a budget of $2.5 billion already, they are funding entrepreneurs and projects that want to build on their blockchain and build within the ecosystem. Absolutely incredible. And they're not only giving them funding, they're actually helping them to develop it and then to get the word out as well. You guys should check out the HBAR Foundation and what Hedera Hashgraph is doing. You can do all of that at thewolfofallstreets.link slash HBAR. That is thewolfofallstreets.link slash HBAR. Do it now. Do you love sports collectibles or fantasy sports as much as I do? So Rare is blending this together to create an entirely new gaming experience powered by its community. So Rare cards are officially licensed NFTs from over 160 clubs, including Real Madrid, Paris Saint-Germain, and Liverpool, and all built on Ethereum. You truly own your collectibles. They are productive gaming assets that will generate rewards if you're a good fantasy player like me. Join SoRare and connect with your favorite teams, live the game with passion, and earn weekly prizes. You can do all of this at thewolfofallstreets.link slash SoRare. I, uh, I don't know. I guess, I mean, so I think demonstrably, like, it, there, there's a lot of usage now, right? Like, I mean, I remember even, like, DeFi, I remember early kind of DeFi and being like, you know, I'm not sure, like, this TVL thing, I'm not sure if this is toy, I'm not sure if this is people who are long ETH already. Just putting their ETH into these things because yeah. they can. <laughs> but with the amount of like stable coins that have flooded in, you know, it's clear that there there are users and they really care and that they will get over these boundaries. Um, I think that I think that I think that yeah, I think a lot of the UX is ready. I think, but I think the trends are going the right direction. I think smart people are, are working on these problems. They've made meaningful, um, they've made meaningful strides. And I also think that it's it might be a little generational. Right. You know, you know, you know, my parents still aren't totally savvy with smartphones. Right. Like right. and in a way that they're entirely intuitive to me. Um, and I think that, you know, younger people coming and, and, and using these, these platforms for the first time, they're just they're going to have intuitions and be able to navigate them in a way that, you know, people that aren't used to people that have sort of gotten a little older and aren't used to the systems have, have more trouble. Yeah, I, I just had a Gaborga box from uh, Van Eck on the on the podcast 
And I, I don't have the stats offhand, but he basically, it was a very similar, similar concept, but attaching money to it, talking about the incredible amount of money that's about to be transferred from the boomer generation, basically to millennials, obviously, as they either die or, or you know, uh, give their children their cash. And how at the same time, those millennials should be coming into their own around 2023 and 2024 or so with their own spending power and, and starting to have investment. And when you put those two things together, and you have this generation that has zero interest in investing in legacy assets, we should see this massive explosion. Yeah, I also I also believe a lot. I mean, a lot of it is like custody and, and signing. And I think that, um, you know, as it gets pervasive, like, you know, there there is like a secure enclave on my iPhone with, that, that is able to sign things. It just doesn't have the right you know, the, the right curve algorithms to, to sign things on these major networks. And I think eventually uh, most devices will sort of catch up um, just because just because all the things, these, these networks will be so important. Sure. I want to circle back to DAOs because you mentioned them in passing. That was the second thing I wanted to get to after we talked about NFTs. You sort of alluded to the point that maybe they're not that scalable. Maybe I took you out of context, but I, I've heard people say that DAOs are the future of governments and voting. And I, I, you know, I just don't see a few hundred million Americans voting through a DAO or anything like that. What, what excites you about DAOs and what are the real, like, uh, legitimate and viable use cases for them and what's nonsense, I guess. Yeah. I mean, I guess my snarky case was kind of, I remember sort of, sort of like when they were first coming around a few years ago being like, look, look where democracy got us as, as a United States citizen in 2019. <laughs> but, um, pretty good. Uh, <laughs> but uh, but uh, I, I think that um, you know I think that I think that sort of being able to being able to organize on chain in an autonomous way is very important. I think that organizations often do need leaderships and, and, and structure and 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 just having everyone vote on everything is not really totally a, a viable a viable day to day functioning mechanism for things that aren't. Um, you know, you know, something like Bitcoin, where the, the intention is that is that governance is ossifying and sort of, you know, opting in on a flag every nth block is 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 an appropriate way to sort of signal up, up, updates um, on the on the one end like that. That makes sense. And then but I think that if you're going to run something day to day, you're going to need a DAO structure that um, sort of sort of empowers individuals to do a lot of things without going to entire communities. Um, and I think that you just need, you need a lot of, we just don't have the infrastructure to like, know who's in your DAO, know who's a holder, know who can vote. Like we have some voting mechanisms, um, you know, that we've got around some of the, how costly it would be to vote on chain for everything, especially on top of Ethereum with stuff like Snapchat. But, um, you know, we, uh, I, I don't know. I think that, I think the DAOs are going to start to look more like organizations. I think that, I think, and I also think that, um, you know, not everything is sort of left up, not everything is best done by a big decentralized organization. You can kind of think about like Mac OS versus Linux, right? Like um, Linux is sort of, is amazing. It's a, it's a, it's a treasure, like being, being done in this open source decentralized way has given us a very powerful sort of server technology for the, for the sort, of, sort of experience that you want on your desktop. Um, it's never really gotten there. You, you kind of need, you know, individuals with a lot of power over the end result, sort of driving product. Yeah, sort of like you talked about at the beginning with just wanting to test Coinbase because it was part of Y Combinator. I obviously like to at least like have a superficial understanding of things. So I've parts of DAO, I've tried to play some of the games, things like that. 
it seems like it's so early in DAOs, or maybe it's just my personal experience. It's anecdotal, but like nobody knows how many things you really should vote on and what's appropriate to vote on. And it basically just ends up being like this mass argument, a bunch of bunks to bunch of people on Telegram or Discord. You know, and so yeah. I, yeah, I, I think the inevitable. I think it is a better way, but inevitably, you're still dealing with human personalities who are making decisions together, right? Totally. I yeah, I agree that the current state is very rough around the edges. I think that um, one thing crypto has taught, one thing investing in crypto have taught me over the years is sort of things that that seem slightly off but have a lot of potential are probably going to get figured out on some oh, time yeah. scale. Yeah, it's the zero, it's the old zero to one, one to yeah. n, right? It says it's gotten from zero to one, so now we just did it. Now the innovators yeah. flood in and just uh, make it actually work. I think that's. I Describes almost everything in crypto, frankly. Yeah, I try not to bet against things generally. You know, I'm trying not to be super negative on anything generally as an early stage investor. And crypto has exacerbated that that uh, sentiment. Uh, the the I guess right. the the rule for the last few years was just stay alive. You know, just, every and, company and, that every company that's that's stuck it out through the bear market is sort of doing amazing. And don't be emotionally dismissive. <laughs> right? I mean, it's so easy to dismiss things. And then three years later, you're like, man, I probably should have paid attention totally. to that in the crypto space. Because totally. it's not like NFTs are new. Yeah. Right? And that's one of those things. I was kind of excited about it. It sort of disappeared yeah. and I didn't pay enough attention. And here we are. Yeah. Yeah. Did, didn't. Yeah. I played around with crypto kitties for a little bit and sort of yeah, moved exactly. on. And, whoops. So one of the other obvious hot button items right now, I think, for you probably as an investor has been around for a very long time, but it's really becoming mainstream is the conversation about regulation, obviously, especially in the United States. Will cryptos be deemed securities? How will they approach it? What agencies? I'm curious if there's any major roadblocks you guys have uh, encountered in trying to do some of your investments. I know as an American, sometimes maybe not as a company, as an individual, you're probably blocked from most of these investments that we're even talking about. Yeah, no, we haven't run anything specifically uh, yet. I, I think that I mean we're worried about it for for a few of our Amer America-based you know founders and, and what that might mean sort of re regulatory-wise, um, and something we're, we're paying close attention to. We, I don't know. I guess I mean, personally, I'm kind of like crypto is going to win versus yeah, we know that, but that doesn't mean it's going to be fun. <laughs> but yeah, but uh, but but yeah. So no, nothing, nothing really. I mean we. We we did we did immediately when we when we amended our, our LP agreements we also for crypto companies were able to be able to invest in non U.S. entities and so you know we we've, we've done a couple investments in things that were outside of North North, North America um, but uh, beyond that we we haven't really I think that we're not really you know we're not, I think I think we're not really trading you know so we're not really right. looking to get access to um, any sort of like derivative products that otherwise would would be uh, unavailable to us. So what's the next Coinbase, right? You guys, you guys caught that unicorn bigger than a unicorn, I would say. And by the way, I mean it seems like we have a new unicorn in the crypto space every week, right? I mean companies you've never heard of two weeks ago all of a sudden are coming in with four and five billion dollar valuations and these crazy multi hundred million dollar raises. Are there any that you can share that are your picks that you think have that chance? I obviously can't ask you what will be the next Coinbase. What could be? What could be? Yeah, yeah. I think. I mean, I think that. Um, 
you know, there's a couple on our portfolio that, that are doing really well. And, you know, I don't know, next Coinbase, <laughs> I don't want to totally, totally set up their expectations too crazy. What but companies one, one, are you excited about yeah, that you one, think could do one, potentially very well in the future? One, one is CRM, which is uh, their competitor with analysis that do, you know, fraud, um, fraud and compliance for crypto networks. And I think that, I mean, the core, I think the core insight is that like, whether you like it or not, uh, being on top of fraud okay. and crypto networks is going to be crucial. You know, even if you never touch it, it's going to be your problem if you touch money. Uh, right. And so I think that I think that that's just an absolutely uh, enormous opportunity. Um, and 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 the market seems to be that. And I think that the sort of its financial institutions are sort of and governments are, are becoming aware that, that this is this is software they absolutely need. Um, and an another is Talos, which is um, it's an institutional execution platform um, that, you know, just is looking to be, you know, I think that I think that there's there's, you know, there's a lot of weird. There's a lot that's weird about how trades are executed in crypto for mainstream financial institutions. Um, certainly, you know, settlement and, the, you know, the, the fragmentation of all the, the way of, of trading venues. Um, and so normalizing that for them and sort of becoming a liquidity hub, again, is just an enormous opportunity. Well, what other challenges do institutions have in approaching this space currently? Uh, I mean, I think like, first of all, like understanding it all, right? There's still, I mean, we, there's still plenty who are like, what, what is this, you know, for, for all the talk of like, they are coming and they are, they are getting smart, you know, it's, it's uh, there's still a lot left. Um, I, I think that, you know, getting comfortable with just sort of custody and, and data flow and data information sources and, and, and sort of research. And I think that, I think that there's the regulatory issue sort of hangs over their head a little bit. Sure. Um, so, you know, be, making sure they're sort of compliant and, and, and following all these sort of new AML sort of th things and understanding counterparties, especially in sort of decentralized context. Infrastructurally, do you think we're there though? It's funny, we talk about it all the time. You remember the 2017 run where it was like, institutions are here and we talked yeah. about back, backed, backed. Like it's it the is a meme of all time for which, by the way, is now trading on the NASDAQ as of this week, I think finally four years later. But we talked about institutional adoption. When you look back, it was just silly, right? Because there yeah. was no way, what are they going to put their billion dollars in a ledger? Like there was no real custodians. It just, it didn't exist. So I've heard from many that they think we're basically there, but are there still things that, you know, might uh, turn a risk manager of a, you know, trillion dollar endowment off and keep them from investing in this? Does the ETF do the job? I, yeah, I don't know. I agree. It's the, it's been the institutions that are coming sort of forever until, and then they only started showing up, I think late last year for in, in earnest, as far as I could tell. Um, and I guess I, you know, I, I don't know that I have my head fully around sort of what, what, what these endowment heads are, are doing. And I think I'm a little biased in terms of my own beliefs about the asset class, but, um, you know, it does seem, I, th I think that one of the things that I've noted in talking to, the, to these, the portfolio founders is that even when they are ready, it still takes, I mean, the sales yeah. cycle is still 12 months, right? Yeah. So, yeah. so, so yeah. it's this, it's this crazy lagging indicator. Yeah, uh, that makes sense. You said that you have your own biases that give you a sort of a skewed view on it. What is what is that bias you're talking about? Oh, I just, I mean, I just, I mean, I'm a believer. I, I don't, I, how could you, like, <laughs> yeah. how could you not have Bitcoin in your portfolio? Right, like, I, I, from that perspective, it, it, totally. I actually struggle sometimes. Obviously, we cheer on institutional adoption and we love every time we hear that one of these big banks is offering it to their wealthy clients. But 
there's also the core ethos of Bitcoin, you know, it's kind of, you know, the long Bitcoin short the bankers, right? And so you have this sort of bipolar number goes up because institutions are here, but also don't we not want institutions <laughs> ever in our money? Yeah. Uh, you know, a lot of people have pointed to the ETF as that. They've said, listen, okay, great. Now Wall Street can control Bitcoin, you know? So should we cheer on institutional adoption or should we cheer on, you know, the people of El Salvador or both? I, I think, I think it's both. I think that, I think that, I think that, uh, yeah, I, it, you, you know, if you're successful enough, it gets co-opted. I think that some of the, it's, it's, it is hard. I think that um, it's it, one of the, one of the interesting questions about specifically the Bitcoin community is like, do, do the ethos is the goddess here, you know, like, like a cult was successfully created. Right. And that was like a lot of very strong extreme opinions went into that and making it stick. Um, and do those strong extreme opinions get us to the next, you know, end percentage of humanity? Yeah, it's an interesting question. So the maximalists are good. <laughs> I always make the, yeah, it was a bit the argument. Maximalists are amazing. They got us here, but maybe like be a little bit more open-minded now. <laughs> so as investors, uh, obviously venture capital, what's the exit strategy? You know, like uh, Coinbase, for example, you guys sat on that, obviously, for roughly a decade. Uh, do you start actually selling? Do you believe Coinbase can still be one of the biggest companies in the world? You hold your position. You can't hold forever, right? I mean, we, as Bitcoiners, we want to hold Bitcoin forever. But when you're an investor in the companies, you can't hold forever. So uh, how do you guys view your exit strategy? Yeah, it's, I mean, it's sort of case by case. Um, um, I think that actually, you know, we held we held Coinbase across a few different funds. Um, the the for our first couple of funds were with those early investments, but then we had a bunch of Coinbase from our Bison Charles investment. Um, and so for the first couple of funds, yeah, it just made sense to just distribute in kind. But you know, for other ones, um, you know, I think that we're sort of sort of strong believers in in Coinbase and, and holding. I, I mean, listen, I don't love the product. Frankly, you know, like obviously the exchange outages and all the things about Coinbase, but I'm absolutely buying the stock and planning to hold it for a very, very long time. I think that I really think they'll be one of the five, 10 biggest co companies in the country, maybe in the world. I do. I mean, so yeah, I, some, some of the first phrases sort of make sense. I do think that I really believe strongly that they have leadership that's on top of sort of the innovators yeah. dilemma. And, and 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 is going to stay and is going to use their resources to stay at the forefront of you know consumer facing tech in the space. Yeah, I think some of the criticisms are frankly unfair, even when I offer them. I I had CZ from Binance on the podcast a, a while back, and he said, "Listen, like I don't think people appreciate that you're building completely new technology, and it's scaling at a rate that no human being could possibly keep up with or predict." You know, if you have millions of people coming in to use these platforms, of course, they're going to have times when they're down and they're not working perfectly because they're being built effectively on the fly at scale, right? Yeah. 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 You're a developer, so you probably know better than uh, better than me. <laughs> but a lot, yeah, a lot like, yeah, <laughs> I've caused those issues with a lot less scale or, you know, face, sure. face or customer consternation without ever reaching anything, anything right, like what that. happens. Right. But what happens when crypto is a billion people trying to use these platforms? Can they scale? I, I mean, I, yeah, I think that, I think that there, there are certainly ways there, there, there are best practices. I mean, I don't know. It's kind of the, you get into the phases of, of the technology where you get, um, I mean, just think about the arc of Twitter, right? Like it just unscalable. They just brought in the right people and, and, and they were able to figure it out.
What do you think will be the next big IPO? Or well, I guess I, I don't want to confuse anyone. Coinbase did not IPO everyone. They had a direct yeah, listing. Yeah, direct listing. Uh, I hate that. I hate when people say they had an IPO, but they had a direct listing. But do you, what do you think that we're going to see another major exchange or huge company in the crypto space uh, go public? That's a good question. I think that the other exchanges are doing sort of interesting. I mean, they're all sort of jurisdictioned. Uh, sure. I mean, they have, they have U.S. entities. Um, I, I don't know. I don't, I mean, I don't, I don't track the later stage companies as closely. Like I sort of pay attention to the rounds in the news, but you know, I'm sort of more steeped in, in earlier stuff. So I don't have a strong opinion about who might IPO. I don't think Binance is going to get there quite yet. <laughs> <laughs> Talk about it, but I think they might uh, have some other uh, things to deal with before they can uh, make that happen from a compliance perspective. Uh, so, but even outside of the exchange space, do you think that, uh, you know, more miners or more just crypto exposed companies, or do you think that we're, we're kind of seeing what's out there for now and there'll be another round further down the road? That's my, that's my suspicion. I mean, yeah, I think that I it's, it's kind of unclear what, you know, I mean, the multiples we're seeing, I think that some of these later stage deals are going to need to catch up a little before they start <laughs> opening up their books uh, with, with their valuations. Um, but I, I think, I, I don't know. I have a vague memory of seeing a miner that was filing to go public recently, but. I, I think know. it's clear we're all very bullish here yeah. um, and extremely optimistic. I think it's always important though to consider the opposite case. Is there anything that concerns you that would make you bearish or turn your opinion or bias on the space? I'm bit not on Bitcoin clearly, but on the space in general, or make you question any of the investments or your ability to invest? Hmm, that's a great question. I think that I mean I think that, that we're still going to see cycles. I think there's still macro risk across across the board, and that um, you know we're still advising your companies like you need to be prepared to stay alive. If, 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 if we go into a, a bear, a bear cycle, like we've seen in the past. Um, and I think that there's also macro a risk outside of crypto, like, you know, whatever, I don't know. I don't know. How else is, I don't know. It's sort of, we sort of feel like the part of the, uh, the, 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 this time it's different part of this, this global macro system that, that, that scares me. Um, in terms of like fundamental around the technology, I mean, I don't know. I think that I mean, short of sort of like some crazy attack on like a nation state or, attack. Or yeah, something. yeah. A solar flare it turns all these off. We lose the ledger. Like I, I don't know. I'm pretty. I think that I think that distributed sort of consensus systems are are you know pretty robust and getting better. And I think that you know the the security of Bitcoin and and these other systems is sort of probabilistic based on how long they've been running without a successful attack. Um, so sort of every day gives me some more confidence, but I don't know. I can't, I can't rule it out that, that something that something of that nature would happen, but you know, my gut is no. Did you by chance see the recent news that a company, I believe they're called Hindenburg. That's a short focused fund is putting a million dollar bounty for more information on Tether's backing. Yeah. Yeah, I did. I did. I'm just like, you know, I don't know. I, so I, I get it. Like, I, I do think it is an industry black guy and it doesn't look good for regulators, but everyone I've talked to who actually, you know, it, it seems like, you know, behind the scenes, everyone who's sort of interacted directly is like, yeah, no, you can redeem. They're not worried. It's, it's no, not nobody's worried. And, nobody's worried. And, and the tether is so like, so sure, maybe they're under reserved. And sure, it's possible, I guess, technically possible there's a run on Tether, but it is so widely held and so like 
uh, intertwined across a bunch of decentralized networks and exchanges around the world that, um, you know, that are that uh, the, the just the mechanics of a widespread redemption event are are sort of daunting in their own right. So I don't know. I, I think we're surrounded by actual scams <laughs> in the oh, crypto sure. industry. And this is, this is not the systemic risk we're sort of we're sort of looking for. God, I, I completely agree. I, I completely agree. How many times can we recycle the same, you know, FUD over and over again? It's not just the Tether FUD. Like it's always, every time Bitcoin drops, right? Tether FUD, uh, China FUD, India FUD, environmental FUD, ransomware FUD. It's right the same cycle. You know, and it's just like one fifth of that cycle that we see every single time and magically price rises and we stop talking about those things again. It's a very strange, humans are weird, <laughs> but uh, it, it almost really feels like it's, it's like coordinated to some degree. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, I don't know. I guess, I don't know. I don't believe it is. I it just, it's just the way that I guess the news cycle works. Once they're piling on, it's just this sort of endless barrage of the same stories recycled. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's people that want to bang that drum and audience for it, you know, sort of as a counterpoint. So listen, you're a developer. Is there anything left that you have in your brain that you'd love to build in this space that hasn't been built yet? And there, then can you actually share it with us? <laughs> nothing, nothing I would love to. I mean, so it's more, there's just more I'd love to work on. I wish I had more time to, to learn, uh, you know, I've dabbled a little bit in Solidity. I, I, I would like to be able, I wish I had time to sort of do a deep dive. Um, I know like Manifold has like all their smart contracts, uh, you know, available and open source. I'd love to like hack on those and see they're, they're supposed to be like, they're, they're like largely extensible. So you can add in sort of like NFT logic. Uh, so I also really want to learn Rust. I'm curious about, you know, it seems like it's showing up everywhere and in, in, in sort of, um, you know, cryptography, crypt, crypt, cryptographic facing libraries, and then, um, you know, like Solana smart contracts. So, so yeah, less, less things I want to build and more just sort of spaces that seem ripe for tinkering. Sounds like you're going to need 48 hour days, my friend. <laughs> Where can everybody follow you after this and keep up with uh, everything you're doing? Yeah, yeah, I'm uh, I'm at Brett DG on Twitter, and uh, you know we're initialized.com. So, well, thank you so much for taking the time to share. It's good to get confirmation that all this money is in fact flowing <laughs> from venture capital because it's exciting. I, I really think that that's one of the most exciting things. People get so obviously consumed with price, they don't realize how much this industry is actually growing from the bottom up. You know, from infrastructure and the new ideas, and I think that that give some context to the, you know, the floor that's being set here below this bull run, in my opinion. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thanks a lot for having me. This is, this is a lot of fun. Absolutely. My pleasure.